Um, so today we, we're on chapter five of Mark, and I'm loving reading Mark. I'm loving these middle points where we're um, learning during the middle of the week. Um, I hope that you're enjoying it too. It's kind of fun to see who's, you know, popping up on our YouVersion app and chatting away or um, chiming in. It's been really rich. This topic, you know, this I have to say this sermon passage, I, I have been struggling this week with this passage. We're in Mark 5, and um, I work, my other job is in mental health. I work as a therapist, and, um, and I, I think that when we come to passages like these, it's hard because this, ident- this, this topic identifies um, how there was a man who was possessed by demons, and demonic possession is not something we talk about very much in the church. I don't know the last time you heard a sermon on demonic possession. I can't remember, to be honest. Um, but we're also talking about mental health and, and this man's mental health and how Jesus restored this man completely. So I just have to tell you that this, this sermon was a little bit harder for me this week, and I hope that we'll wrestle with it together. If you have any questions or things you want to talk about after, you know, just talk to me or email me or call me, whatever. But we're talking today in Acts, um, you can bring up the first slide, about how Jesus responded to mental health, and, and really, how did Jesus also respond to, um, to the devil? And we think about the earlier um, encounter in Mark where Jesus encountered the devil when he had just been baptized. He, he came out of the spirit of being full of the Holy Spirit, and then he was driven into the wilderness, and he was tested by the devil, and the devil tempted him and tried to you know have him um, turn rocks into bread and throw himself down and gave him the temptation of all the kingdoms of the world and and Jesus stood firm with the power of God's word and and said no to him and so we we have another encounter of Jesus with the demonic world and we have this in Mark chapter 5 next slide so a couple things if you were reading in the app this week we were in Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5 and so we have um some really important passages that come up in Mark chapter 5. We're talking about the Gerasene demoniac today. But something important is to think about in Mark chapter 4, at the end of 4, Jesus is sailing on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. Um, This is one of those (laughs) classic stories that I, you know, I don't know if you've ever been like on a rough boat. Um, I was on a cruise in Alaska and I threw up the entire time because the seas were really rough and it was like the worst time of my life ever. I don't, I mean, I hate talking about throw up, but I, I've never thrown up that much in my whole life. And I was, it took me like, it was, I was wiped out the whole week. And so this scene of Jesus and his disciples on the sea, they're being tossed about, they're terrified. I'm like, I know how that feels. And Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat and his disciples are freaking out and, and he gets up and he's like, why are you so afraid? And then he, you know, tells the wind, knock it off, and rebukes the wind. And, and they're like, who is this? And, and then they, they get off their boat, and they're in this land of the, of the they, there's a bunch of ways that this is termed, Gadarenes, Gerasenes. Um, and they're in this land that is a pagan land. And again, Jesus shows up in power because he is God. And so we have these, these stories of, of his power being shown. And a couple things I want to just note to you. The, the miracles of Jesus, you know, the people, it's really interesting to think about how we encounter miracles or we look at the supernatural, and, and a commentator says this, 
Um, at the same time, the miracles were not so much looked upon as contraventions of a universal system of natural law, and hence they were not so stupendous to those experienced who reported them. It seems like people were more accustomed to seeing the miraculous than we are. I think they, they, they embraced it and believed it more. In fact, granted the possibility of divine intervention in the constitution and course of nature, miracles were seen as natural and hence the center of interest in such stories as this one that we are going to have. And not really as a miracle as it will be for us, but in what it proved. And this is the important thing. It proved the presence, the power, and the saving purpose of God. So the miracles, just hang on to that. When Jesus showed up in these miraculous ways, it proved his presence, his power and the saving purpose of God. And, in, and as Mark tells us this story, John Mark, no doubt for his readers, this miracle story also meant that the same divine Lord who had been able to rescue his imperiled disciples in that savage night as they were on that boat and it's being tossed about, the same Lord who saved them on the sea was still present with his own and could preserve them in the midst of danger, persecution, or whatever that's they, incur, they encounter. And we have to remember, too, this, this passage in Mark, this book of Mark was given to a church that was in persecution. This was a martyr church. This was a church that was being actively persecuted for their faith in Christ. And so as Mark shares these stories, he reminds them, this, the same Lord who conquered the sea, who told the wind, knock it off, who calmed his disciples, that drove this demon out of this man, he is the same God who can do that for you. And that's what caught me. As we sit with these stories, remember the same God who did all these things is still doing these things for us here today, and we just have to open our eyes and see it. So turn with me to Mark, Mark chapter 5. So we're coming up after, as I just talked to you, that they had just come across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, or Gadarenes, as another translator calls it. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, it's also called an unclean spirit, came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs in the, in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Now, if we pause here for a second there. <clears throat> what caught me, first of all, I'm a mother. And, and the first thing I thought about when I read this was, my word, this man was somebody's son. You know, I just, that, that was what paused me for a second. I, I thought, this man was somebody's child. We don't know how old he was. He could have been a teenager. He could have been a young man. But I just thought about this. He lived in a graveyard. You know, and usually in, in, in a lot of cultures, graveyards are like taboo. Like people don't go to, or some people go and put food there. You know, it's, it's, it's like one of there. You either have picnics there or you avoid it. He lived in the tombs and no one could bind him more, anymore, not even with a chain. So what, whatever had happened to him where he had um, allowed and maybe invited um, a demonic spirit into him, um, whatever happened where the devil had gotten into this man, he had been driven out to the tombs and people had tried to, to tie him up. They couldn't even chain him anymore. The, the demonic presence gave him supernatural strength. So you think about that. He had often been chained hand and foot. So it just, you know, you just think of that. He had been tied up hands and feet. 
It's, it's just an awful thing to think about. And he was so strong that he broke the irons on his feet. So that is like, that is supernatural. That is not, that's not natural or normal. No one could subdue him. So it sounds like people had probably tried to wrestle this man. He'd probably been held down. Um, it's just a, it's just a, uh, for me, it, it brought up just torment. You know, it's just horrible. Night and day among the tombs in the hills, screaming, crying. You know, this is where we hear an, an instance of self-harm, cutting. So, and I and just thought, this is somebody's child, and this is how this man's life is. So I, I, I pause there and just think, just let, let that sit with you. You know, I work in, um, as a therapist, and I see all kinds of stuff. And I think what always hurts my heart the most is I think, this was somebody's little baby, and something happened, and this person is hurting themselves or they can't even be restrained, they can't live normally, and my compassion just comes to the roof. And this is the awesome part in verse 6. When he saw Jesus, so it, um, one commentator says that they probably got out of the boat at night. He, this man sees Jesus. He sees him from a distance. And he runs, falls on his knees in front of Jesus. And he shouts at the top of his voice. Now, this is interesting. This is the demon speaking through this man. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said, so Jesus first says to this, this man, but he's speaking to the demon, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And the response from the demon is, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Jesus' deity is identified. This is important. And then in God's name, don't torture me. One commentator says that the, the, in, um, in that in that understanding was the demons would be sent to the abyss. So the demon is saying, don't send me to the abyss. We could have a whole nother sermon on this whole thing. <laughs> then Jesus asked the demon to identify himself. My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. Um, and another commentator said they, the story was called the man with 2,000 devils. Um, a legion was 2,000. For we are many. And this demon begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So this just shows you Jesus' lordship. You know, Jesus' Jesus's power that, that he can dismiss or send or allow. And this is, the, <laughs> this is the interesting part. You know, I grew up on a farm and we had pigs, so I always, this was always my favorite part of the story. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. Another commentator says it wasn't Jesus being cruel to these animals. It, it says that Jesus allowed it. That's just a reminder, too, that, that, that God has the ability, ability to allow and not allow. And he gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out of that man and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off. Now just think about this. That's, this is your job. You're watching pigs. And you see that happen? I would run away too. They run off. They go into, the, they go into town and the countryside. They didn't stop at the town. They went everywhere. And the people went out to see what had happened. It's like, for us, this would be like a pileup on 35W. When they come to Jesus, a couple things. They see the man who had been possessed by the legion. So clearly everybody in the community knew this man. 
They see him sitting by Jesus, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now think about that. Their response was not like, oh man, you're like all better. My gosh, you're like, first of all, you have clothing. Second of all, you're not cutting yourself or screaming or anything. You're like normal. No, they're afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. There's like, and there's the pig thing. The pigs are all gone. Then the people begin to plead with Jesus to leave their region. The response is so intriguing. Instead of being like, oh, you can like do anything. You can save us. You can fix everything. No, they're like, get out of here. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Just picture that sight. I can just see him like seeing the person who was probably the safest person in the world, the most beautiful person in the world, the person who had delivered you from everything. I'd be like hanging onto his leg. Nope, I'm coming with you. Nope. And Jesus doesn't let him. Jesus says, no, go home. Go to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that was this 10-region city, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. You know, something incredible, too, is that another commentator says that there was like 6,000 people that came back later to hear from Jesus in the Decapolis because of this man. So there's, there's just a couple of things to think about. So it's really important to think about that, again, we go back to the presence, the power, and the saving purpose of God was shown up in this story we think about also that, um, that to Palestinian Christians who are hearing this story now, a couple things too. Remember the, um, the food laws had been changed because of Peter and, and clean and unclean was, was diminished. So there's the thing of the pigs. The pigs are now seen as clean. So that's an interesting point that I want to bring up to you. And I think it's interesting to think about, for instance, the, the immediate problem that we have pictured here with this man. The just thinking about how those who had suffered from mental and nervous illness, the method of chains, fetters, terribly inadequate. We think about how people have, um, you know, we think about like there's the demon possession part and then there's the mental health part, but just how we have responded to people with mental health and mental illness. Um, you think about, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the word um, an asylum, an insane asylum, that is where people used to be put. So just how we think of how we have cared for people and put people out for people that are mentally sick. Um, and the whole range of social disorders, this tragic pattern of isolation and people being outside of the church and, and outside of community. We think of all those things of how Jesus approached this situation through his power, through his majesty. And it's a different way. It's a different way of understanding, reaching into the spirit of trouble, the deranged mind, the spirit behind it, and bringing to an end because of Jesus' power. You think of this incredible story. And so we think about how Jesus, throughout Mark chapter 5, he shows, first of all, he has power over the demonic world. We have the story of Jairus' daughter, or Jairus' daughter, however people say it. Um, that's the story afterward, if you, if you read that one. He, he, he brought, back her, brought her back to life. Jesus had not only power over the devil, he had power over death. He heals the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and, and it was by her faith that, that she was healed. She touched his coat. We think about in Mark 5, the, the biggest, biggest summary is Jesus' power and authority to heal. heal. And we have that starting with this story of the Gerasene demoniac. 
Next slide. So a couple things. When you think of mental health, what first comes to your mind? Does it, is it this, this story? Um, is it something else? I had the privilege of, uh, my mother worked, I kind of forget about this, but my mother worked for 12 years at the Moose Lake um, State Hospital when I was a little girl. And she cared for adults who had um, Down syndrome. And so on weekends, we lived on a farm, on weekends she would bring some of the patients home to our farm. And so I, very early on, I didn't really consider this until I'm saying it to you, that very early on I was very comfortable with dealing with people that were different than me mentally. Because they were always with us. You know, we, our school was very involved in that hospital and our, our children's choirs and bands would go to sing and play. Um, and I just remember always noticing though that there was something different about them than me and I always had this compassion and, and pity. I had a classmate, um, I thought about this classmate of mine and now, now I understand it differently. He, he was um, on the severe end of the autism spectrum and I think about him right away because um, People didn't understand that they, they called him terrible names, you know, names I won't even like say out loud. But the goal of a lot of the boys in our grade was to target him and to get him to spaz out. You know, it was like, what can we do to make him freak out today? And, and he would go from calm and then something would happen and, and this term, and I, and I think about how one day, I don't know what I did, but I, I looked at him wrong and, and next thing I know I'm in the library and he's throwing books at me and I'm like, ah! And, and I, was, I was terrified of him, but I also had this terrible pity and, and compassion for him. His dad was one of our teachers at school, and I kept thinking, oh, man, like how, how is this for them? So I, I just want you to think about the instances and the examples you know of mental health and what first comes to your mind. I found an old picture. Um, next slide. You know, if you, if you just Google and, and look through, like, um, you know, ancient pictures or, or past pictures of, of mental health or demonic possession, actually, this one comes up, and this is the, the scene of the garrison demoniac. You know, you look at this man and what's coming out of his mouth and all the, the chaos and disorder and, and fear. It's like, this is a fearsome picture. And then you see the sweet little piggy sitting right there next to him, not, not knowing what's going to happen next. And, and we, but we also see Jesus in this picture. And so when you think of that in, in early examples, how people saw, saw you, you look at this man and, and how disordered and, um, and just in what a state he is. And then, and then Jesus. And so we think of like how people approach mental health then. You know, I think about this picture that I found. Just, you know, when we are, when we are not well in our minds and when there is chaos and disorder in our minds, I feel like this is our picture of our head down. Really representing like, I'm not able to look up in my countenance and shows that. And I'm sure that each one of us has an example of a time where we have had some chaos and disorder in our own minds and what that is like. But you think of like on a bigger example when it is the result of like demon possession and, and something else that has gotten into this man's life and, and how terrible it is, but how awesome Jesus shows up in this story to deliver and to heal. And so you think about the summary of, of this story was that Jesus restored a life. He brought order to chaos his authority was revealed. Think about Jesus' authority over the demonic realm. Nobody had had power like that, and Jesus showed it. And it's the people, their response was fear, leave, and also showed their priorities. One commentator notes the, the priorities were the economic ruin. The sweet little piggies went over the cliff and went money. 
And they're like, oh no, this man can't be in here because he's going to ruin our economic stances, you know, of, of pork. The pork industry had a terrible day that day. But you think about the, a human life had a good day that day because Jesus restored it. And so you think of the, the priorities and what Jesus did. He restores, he brings order to chaos. He is the most powerful. And is our response when things like that happen, are we like those people in the garrisons where we are afraid and we don't acknowledge and we don't want or we put our priorities in somebody else? Is it on people? Is it on things? And so when you think about how Jesus prioritized it, we see how Jesus interacted with people. You see, first of all, in the, in the story, Jesus sees people. You see this man, Jesus, I think Jesus went to this man on purpose. You know, he's, why is Jesus hanging out in the tomb area? Well, maybe it was the closest to the sea. We don't know the location, but think about it. Jesus saw that man. He went towards him. And that man was never the same. You think about us, he sees us, he comes towards us, and he never leaves us the same. And that is with our bodies in every way, soul, mind, spirit, the whole works. So as we think of this and how Jesus cares for us, I want you to take a moment to pause and wonder then about defining care completely for our mind, body, soul, spirit, emotions, all of it. And then compassion. If you can just take a, take a minute and think of a what, how do I define care? And how do I define compassion? What are they? And then next, what are the beliefs that you have around um, care for your mental health? care for your, your physical health. You know, we go to the doctor. A lot of us do a lot of doctoring. Some of us don't do enough. But what are your beliefs on care, and especially with mental health? And consider what has formed what I believe about taking care of myself. Where do these messages come from, and what are they? If we kind of come back to the story of this, this garrison demoniac, you wonder what his family's and his community's beliefs about care were. You know, I think of like, what were, what did they believe about care for people with mental health disorders? Um, where did those messages come from? What are they? And if we think of our own mental health and our own state of care, what do we believe? Where did it come from? I think, too, it's important we address this in the church because so oftentimes we will, um, this is really important to call out, we will not care for our mental health in the right ways and we will um, we can attribute things to to the demonic realm that aren't in the demonic realm or we don't acknowledge the demonic realm and we we put it in in a different realm and that's super important when i was a youth pastor um this was kind of my my first eye-opening experience this i had a student that started probably around 15 16 exhibiting bizarre behaviors i got this terrible phone call this one day school had been called she had been removed from school she was at home and her parents had come over here quick, we need you. And, I, you know, I was young, I'm like, okay, and I get there, and and she was not in her right mind at all. She was incoherent, she was ex exhibiting bizarre, really scary, strange behavior. And um, the long and the short of it was she ended up being diagnosed with schizophrenia. And oftentimes, schizophrenia will have an onset around adolescence, puberty, when there's um, hormonal changes. She also had a past history of mental health. Like, there'd been, you know, lots of mental health in the family that had really been, like, covered and, and um, hidden. 
And her parents, um, and, I, and I don't judge them for this, or, you know, they, they did everything they could, but before seeking out mental health, they brought her to be, um, they brought her to a deliverance ministry because they thought she was demon-possessed. And so it was this, I, I walked with this family through this kind of discerning process of is, is, this, is this demonic possession? Is our da- daughter demonically possessed because of some of the things she was doing? And it turned out later, after she had been committed to a hospital, she had schizophrenia and she had a chemical imbalance in her body. And as soon as she got on the right medication, like so much was restored. And, and this young woman loves Jesus, has a family, is walking with him. Like it, it's really beautiful. But for about five years, it was terrifying. And so I think about how, how often um, as Christians in the church, we either will attribute the devil to everything and we won't attend to like what is, is a truly like a physical need of our body that, that can be cared for, or do we not acknowledge the demonic realm and acknowledge that the devil is out there to steal, kill, and destroy, and we put everything in, into another spot of like, well, I'll go to the doctor and fix this. So I think it's important that we attend to um, what is spiritual and what is not spiritual and attend to our minds in the way that we would and care for our minds just as well as we would if we have a broken arm or we have strep throat or we have the Rona. You know, we go and we, we do and we care and we also seek out. So a couple things. I just want to um, encourage you this. How do you know if you need to seek help for your own mental health? It's just an important thing to, to think about. I just spoke on this to a group of pastors, and, and I told them, um, as a mental health professional, I say, think about the duration, frequency, onset, and severity. Like, when did something start? How long has it been going on? How frequently is it going on? And what is the severity? That is how, like, we we diagnose. Is whatever I'm experiencing impacting me across the domains of home, life, relationships, work, career, and school? And then we we also take note and say, I'm not able to do this on my own anymore, and I need help. We think about this story with, um, next slide. Um... I think they, this is an important thing to name, too, is, is shame keeps us from seeking out care for our own mental health. And I think even the devil can use shame. Shame is a great acronym for should have mastered everything every way. You know, shame keeps us with our heads down, not with our heads up. And so it's important to name, like, where is shame in this, and how can I, how can I be up on the devil keeping me from um, being cared for, keeping me from Jesus healing me, and letting other people help me. Next slide. How can we care well for our own mental health? I think it's important. Um, this, if you ever want a really great book to read, this is by Klein Snodgrass. He's a covenant theologian who God says you are. And, and he says a couple things that I just wanted to share with you. He says, um, he said, first, if we're not willing to examine ourselves, be honest, and admit our shortcomings, even when it hurts, we will never be who God calls us to be. He says, we don't do things alone. He says, the texts that speak of deceitfulness speak of God engaging us and enabling transformation. He says, um, he quotes this um, Richard Carlson. He says, he had a plaque on his door that says, Jesus knows me, this I love. God knows us in ways we cannot know ourselves, and being known by God creates a dynamic of change to bring us more in line with God. Like the things that, that keep us from each other and keep us from God is a shame. And so to say, how can I be aware when I have shame about something or I feel like I'm, I, I'm too embarrassed to talk about this and, and bring it to community, bring it to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Come find a new find a counselor. You know, Find someone to talk to. Don't do it alone. Next slide, Claire. 
You think too about how our theology also presents barriers to our mental health. Just consider what messages have formed your theology for mental health care. Um, is, it, is it a past message of saying that that's, you know, like my, my dad would say like, oh, you're, he'd ask my mom every day, are you going to go work at the nut house? I mean, you think of even messages like that of how we will, we will wound and keep people from the very best that God has from them by even what we believe or how we express what we believe. So think about that. What passages in scripture form this theology? You know, do your work this week of maybe looking like, where have I thought about my own mental health? Um, think about how did Jesus view and treat mental health? Jesus restored. Jesus went to people. He didn't keep them locked up. And how do, I think it's important, too, we also discern spiritual warfare versus mental health, just like I acknowledged earlier. We really discern, and we do that together. You know, think about this. In this passage in the Bible, Jesus speaks to a spirit. He doesn't speak to that man. And so I think it's also important to think of, like, is this, is this a spiritual thing or is this a truly part of our, our emotional mental health? And we can know that. Um, is there another one, Claire? Mental health begins in community. Just think about this story. The healing Jesus gave restored order to a chaotic life. Jesus restored this man to his family and his community. Jesus set this man free to be the very first recorded missionary. He said, no, go and tell. And also to think about how are we and we can make this personal and communal, are we willing to rethink how we as a community engage with those who are experiencing mental health symptoms? Do we, in a sense, chain people up, or do we set them free, and do we go to them and, and engage them and care for them? Next. I want you to also think about for your own mental and emotional health, calming down, relaxing, taking care. Why is this important? How can we do this in ways that are honoring to ourselves? And we rethink relaxation. You know, we can, I think right now we are all, I would say, um, pretty squeezed. I think a lot of us are squeezed and a lot of us are pushed to our max in a lot of ways right now. And our, I think our mental and emotional health have been really impacted, especially by COVID and everything that's happened the last couple of years. And so it's important to think about how can I relax and care for myself and my own mental health so I can be the very best that I can be. Next one. Mindful moments, just being present. Breathing is huge. If you don't breathe, you cut off blood flow to your brain, FYI. So there's an app ca called Calm. It's a great app. Um, square breathing is something that you can do. Be aware of our thoughts. We keep reaching out and doing good to others. We attend to the small wonders that we have in life. Our children are beautiful ways of that. They can drive us nuts, but they can also be reminders of how beautiful and, and wonderful it is. Next. We can be present at our work. Just do one thing and one thing well when you're doing it. Social support, don't isolate. Accept, be flexible and don't judge yourself. Be kind to yourself if you have those shameful thoughts. Call it out. And next, I think that's it. So I just want to encourage you today as you, as you attend to the story, think about Jesus' power, his presence, and his authority that Jesus wants us to care well for our own mental health and the mental health of others. Um, and I think this it could be a really good ongoing conversation that we keep having. Um, but keep enjoying, Mark, and I look forward to hearing your comments on the app as we work through this. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for how we have this beautiful story of your, of your power, your authority over sin, death, and the devil. And I thank you, God, for 
just the beautiful outcome that this man had, that you set him free, that he was brought back into community, and, and he had such an awesome testimony. Lord, help us to care for our own mental health. Help us to care well for the mental health of others. And help us, Lord, to be people that are um, setting others free because of your love and what you are doing in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.